Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. So this morning, uh, we are starting our Why series. Now, this series is going to be different than other series because we're not going to just do consecutive series on why. This, the Y series is gonna kind of come and go throughout the year. In fact, next week, Matt is starting a new series called Relationship Goals. He is gonna go through the Song of Solomon. And if you've read that, you can start praying for Matt. That's not gonna be an easy series. It's gonna be a PG-13 series. And I don't have to preach any of those. Good luck to Matt. So I'm really, so, so that's coming. Well, why would we do a Y series? It's important to know that many of you are here and you consider Bible Center your family, but it's really easy to fall into the pattern of just doing things in a ritual way. It just becomes tradition. The why inserts the heart back into tradition. Uh, For others, uh, you maybe haven't been coming to Bible Center as long. Maybe you don't know this, but we have new guests here every single week. Over the course of a month, we might have dozens of new people checking us out. And our desire is to see guests become family. And one of the ways you do that is you talk about why you do what you do. Um, Another way of doing that, it's kind of a plug, uh, I'm the group's pastor, and I want everyone in this room to have a place that you call home, a place where everybody knows your name, a place where you feel loved and people love you. They know what's going on in your life. If you've been here for a while or if you're new to Bible Center and you haven't found a place yet to connect, you haven't found a place to call home, we're launching a new group this Monday night Uh, It's gonna be here. Charlie and Leah Jennings are gonna be leading it. They're in the front row. This is like their seats. Uh, They'll also be out at the group wall. As soon as the service comes to an end, they'll have lanyards on. I would encourage you to meet them and check out their group. It's for anybody who's still trying to find a place. So we'd love for that to happen. So the first sermon in our Why series is Why Communion? Why Communion? What's the difference between an oil change in a dinner with good friends. What's the difference between that annual routine of doing your taxes versus Christmas morning? What's the difference? Well, the difference is huge. One you look forward to, one you don't, right? Christmas morning is filled with relationships. You're emotionally invested. You can't wait to see eyes and to have certain levels of feelings of excitement and joy and hugs. You never hug your tax guy, right? You never hug the guy, the mechanic who just did your oil change. It's just a different set of emotions. One's relational, one, you're kind of mindless, you're disengaged. My hope is as we look at communion, is that our hearts and our minds become more engaged. Communion should feel more like Christmas dinner and less like an oil change. Okay, so that's one of our hopes for today as we talk about communion. My goal is to do this. I wanna spend a little time talking to your head. We're gonna talk about the details. Why do we do communion the way that we do it? What does the Bible say about the details of communion? And then I'm gonna transition from your head, hopefully to your heart. We're gonna talk about the purpose of communion. How are we doing? The Bible's called us to remember. The Bible has called us to examine. And the Bible has called us to celebrate during our times of communion. How are we doing at those things? And we're gonna go a little deeper. But before we start, I'd love to pray with you. So let's talk to the Lord. Father, we come before you and we celebrate, Jesus, all that you've done for us. The entire morning is an opportunity to remember all that you've done for our sake and in our place. Uh, Lord, communion is a meal. The fact that you invite us to join you at your table because of what you've accomplished for us is amazing. 
Uh, May we be overwhelmed with the reality of the relationship we have with you because you initiated it. You made it possible because of what you did, Jesus, on the cross. So Lord, may we look forward to this meal and treat it as something beautiful. In Christ's name, amen. So let's start by answering some questions. What should we call this meal? What should we call this meal? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, it says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? A participation in the blood of Christ. Another way of translating the word participation is sharing, in the sharing of the blood of Christ or in the communion of the blood of Christ. So the term communion comes from that verse. That could be translated participation, sharing, or communion. The Lord's Supper. Oftentimes this is referred to as the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, Paul simply calls it the Lord's Supper. So another thing that we can use to describe this meal. In Acts chapter two, verse 42, it's called the breaking of bread or something is called the breaking of bread. In that section, it says that the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus are praying together. They're fellowshipping together. They're sitting under the, the reading and the preaching of God's word together. And then they're also breaking bread together. They're breaking bread together. Now, it's possible that it's only referring to just them eating meals together, but it's just so specific. Jesus breaks the bread. They're described as breaking bread. So most likely, the term breaking of bread is also a description of communion. Have you ever heard the term Eucharist or the Eucharist? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, it calls this the cup of thanksgiving the cup of thanksgiving. If you take the Greek word for thanksgiving and transliterate it into English, it's the word Eucharist. So I don't think it's inappropriate to use that word. We are celebrating. We are thankful for what Jesus has done. Eucharist is also another way of describing communion. Have you ever heard the term the mass? The mass? Now that's something that we don't find necessarily in scripture. Like there's no verse for me to point to but it's part of a Catholic tradition to call it the Mass. So you probably won't hear it in this church or in many Protestant circles, but that's another reference you'll find in Catholicism. So the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, communion, what do we eat during this meal? So Jesus celebrated this meal for the first time during something called the Last Supper. Remember that painting where all the disciples are lined up and you've got Jesus in the middle? The Last Supper, okay? So during that meal, which was the Passover meal that they celebrated every single year, they would eat unleavened bread. It was a festival of unleavened bread. So do you think we need to eat unleavened bread during our communion? This bread's pretty fluffy. I don't know if you know what unleavened bread looks like, but it doesn't look like this, okay? This is, this is leavened bread. So we think the main point that Jesus is trying to get across there isn't the type of bread, but rather what the bread symbolizes. And the breaking and the consuming of the bread is the point of the Lord's Supper, not the type of bread. So I think we have freedom in terms of the type of bread that we use. In some churches, they'll take a loaf like this and they'll literally will break it open and hold it together. And then the congregation comes forward and tears off a little piece of the bread to celebrate communion together. It's kind of a beautiful way of symbolically representing the truth of you played a part and I played a part in the breaking of Jesus's body. So that's kind of a beautiful way of doing it. But in a church of five, 600 people on a, you know, every single service, it's a little harder to do it that way. So another way of doing it is crackers, all right? Or like little pieces of bread. 
that you find in a cup, which is how we do it here. That's also totally fine. Uh, it's a way that we can do it in a way that's quickly done. We can manage it. So that's another way of, of choosing the kind of bread. Either one is fine. We should assume freedom. Just because a church does it differently than the way your church does it, doesn't mean it's right or wrong. The question is, is it symbolizing the broken body of Jesus Christ, the drink. So there's the bread and then there's the drink. So what goes in that cup? Jesus describes it this way, the fruit of the vine. Now, there has been some debate over whether that should be filled with wine or filled with grape juice. Maybe you've never heard that, uh, but sometimes there's some debate over that. Jesus doesn't tell us which is supposed to be. He just says the fruit of the vine. Jesus is brilliant, by the way. Like as we go through this, he just creates these wide open doors of freedom. And for some reason, we always want to take that freedom and create rules and laws. But here he gives us some freedom. So when they were celebrating the Last Supper, which was the Passover meal, just so you know, there would have been four cups of wine that would have been drank throughout the evening. Each one had some symbolism and some purpose. It was just their tradition of New Testament Jews to drink it that way and to celebrate that meal in that way. We know the believers in, in Corinth used wine because the Bible says they drank too much wine. They actually turned it into a you know, just this drinking festival. So Jesus had to call them to pull it back. He said, you're doing too much, calm it down. So one way of pulling it back is using grape juice. Like we're, we use grape juice here, so we're never gonna have a first Corinthians type situation here. Now, if there was wine in your cup, I want you to notice that the cup's not very big. So even if you did have that much wine, you're not gonna turn into a lush, okay? Like you're gonna be okay. But here we use grape juice. In some churches, they give you an option where you can use grape juice or wine and you pick. Either way, we think there's freedom. We do it a particular way here, but there's freedom. To look at another church, another individual and say, you've got it wrong, it's not a good way to handle the situation. Jesus says the fruit of the cup. So where did this come from? How's the Lord's Supper connected to what God has been doing for the 2000 years leading up to the Lord's Supper? So I've mentioned this a couple times. You've heard me use the term Passover feast. In Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 11, a little bit in Exodus chapter 13, there's this story, there's this description of what's happening to God's people. They're presently enslaved in Egypt. They're enslaved. Physically, they are the slaves of Egypt. And God raises up Moses, and through a series of miracles, he ends up with this last miracle, where he goes to the Pharaoh and says, if you don't let my people go, the oldest child in every household will die. And the Pharaoh says, they're not going anywhere. So Moses tells the people of Israel, the only way that you will not have your oldest die in your household is you need to find an unblemished lamb. That lamb needs to die. You then take the blood of that sacrificed lamb and you put it across your doorframe. And the angel of death will then pass over your home and you will be safe and no one will die. And the Israelites did that. Many lambs died that night and there was blood on all the door frames and God was faithful. Something had to die, blood had to be shed and then death passed over the homes of the Israelites, okay? So that was at the very beginning. So in the Passover meal, it was a full meal because they continued to do the Passover meal year after year after year to remember what God had done, how God had redeemed them and saved them from slavery. Every year with the Passover meal, they would have a sacrificial lamb. What was the main dish in the Passover meal? It was the lamb. 
it died on their behalf, and then they would consume it. They would participate and they would eat. And during this meal, they were called to remember, to remember what the Lord had done. The Lord had gone above and beyond to save his people from slavery. So they were called during the Passover meal to remember what the Lord had done. And even though he had saved them from physical slavery, there's just an element here where they still knew that they were still enslaved by something else. They were enslaved by their tendency to rebel, their tendency to drift, their tendency to sin against the Lord who saved them. So the Passover meal also pointed towards a greater need in their heart, the need for a Messiah, for one to come to free them, not just from their physical slavery, but their spiritual slavery. So the Passover was an opportunity to look forward, to point to a coming Messiah. And all this was done in something we call the Old Testament. Now the Lord's Supper, okay, the Lord's Supper came out of the Passover. Jesus is hanging out with his, with his dudes, with his disciples. And during that last supper, he initiates something new. So out of something old, something new comes. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus references the bread and the cup. So it's no longer focused on a lamb. It's no longer a full meal. It's two things and two things alone. That way priority and focus can be set on two things. is bread and the cup. And no longer are they talking about a sacrificed lamb. They are now talking about a sacrificed Messiah. But it's similar in that Jesus, through the bread and the cup, there's a, he symbolizes the fact that he will be broken and his blood will be shed. And you are to partake and to consume of that bread. You are to partake and you're to consume of that drink. Why? Because you're taking what Jesus did and it's becoming a part of who you are. In the Passover, it was the lamb. In the Lord's Supper, it's symbolically Jesus. In the Lord's Supper, we're called to remember what Jesus has done. But it also is a call to celebrate and remember that he's coming back, that he initiated something, he started something, but he's not done with it. So we remember and we look forward. The Lord's Supper points to the return of Jesus under the new covenant. How often are we to celebrate the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25, it says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. How often? Do this as often as you drink it. So how often? Well, just do it as often as you do it. I mean, that's really the instruction we're given here. We're not told monthly, we're not told weekly, we're not told quarterly, we're not told biannually. It says, often as you drink it. So how do we make the choice as a church how frequently we're gonna do communion? I think there's two like, guardrails and kind of guide us in this decision. One is just the reality and the danger of tradition. If we do something over and over again too frequently, sometimes we become callous to it. We're no longer engaged. We just, we just go through it. It becomes mundane. It becomes rote. We're disengaged as we do it. And there's a tendency for our hearts to become hard and to no longer be soft in the way God's called it to be during the moment of communion. The other danger is gospel amnesia. You and I wake up every single morning desperately needing Jesus. But sometimes we forget about that. Instead of running to him, we just try to fix ourselves. Instead of running to him, we just pretend like our sin is not that big of a deal, even though it costs him everything. Gospel amnesia is a part of the Christian experience. So we have this tendency to harden, but we also have this tendency to drift. We have this tendency towards tradition and ritual, but we also have this tendency towards forgetting. 
So we need to do communion frequently enough that this doesn't happen and that doesn't happen. We need to choose to do communion frequently enough that our hearts stay soft and incredibly in love with Jesus. That's how we choose. So there's no right, there's no wrong. The question is, are you fully engaged? Is it causing you to fall more in love with Jesus? If the answer is yes, you've hit a sweet spot. So those are some details. Let's move from details to purpose. Why do we do communion? What is the purpose of, purpose of it? What are we supposed to get out of it? Uh, the first one that sticks out is it's supposed to be a remembrance of Jesus. Luke twenty two nineteen 19 says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. First Corinthians eleven twenty five says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So one question I ask myself is what makes something memorable? What causes you to remember one day over another day? There's lots of days in your life. There's lots of pages in your own personal book that you don't remember. For me, there's a couple of days that I can't seem to forget, all right? So one of those was when Jen and I were missionaries in Mexico for 12 months. So for a whole year, we lived in Mexico with a team of missionaries. And while we lived there, I was in charge of the missionaries. So I had to put together this Bible studies, the materials, the strategies. So I take my books and I took my laptop computer. This is 20 years ago. So that laptop computer was valuable and it was big and it was heavy and you had to make sure nobody stole it. So I took it to this place called Plaza del Sol, Plaza of the Sun, and I studied there for hours. I studied there for too many hours. I walked out to the parking lot and there was no public transportation left. And that was the only form of transportation that I had. So here I am, four and a half to five miles from my little home in Mexico and I had to hoof it. I had to run the whole way home because when you're running through neighborhoods in the middle of the night in Mexico with a laptop and books, you run, okay, you just run. So I've got them like this and I'm doing this for four and a half to five miles running through the streets of Mexico and I get home. You have long pants on because everyone wears long pants even though it's a thousand degrees. I have dress shoes on because everyone wears dress shoes and I'm exhausted. My feet hurt, I've soaked through my pants but I didn't die, okay? So I don't go back to Plaza del Sol for about a month. But when I do go back, I take my books, I take my computer, and I've committed to myself, I'm not going to miss the bus this time. So I'm sitting there studying, I'm reading, I'm eating my Mexican food, and I realize it's time to make sure I don't miss my bus. So I come out into the parking lot, and this is a huge place, like this is a huge mall, and I see a bus that is probably a quarter of a mile away. I mean, it looks, it looks this big, all right? So it's tiny, it's so far away, and it's starting to move out of the parking lot. So this is 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I was actually pretty fast. So I've got my computer, I've got my books, now I'm running like this. So I'm running, I'm running full speed through the parking lot as fast as I can go, because I don't want to miss this bus. I don't want to have to run four and a half to five miles home again. So I'm sprinting towards this bus. If you're sitting in the bus, you just see this crazy gringo just sprinting through the parking lot at you as fast as he can go. As I'm approaching the bus, still sprinting, holding onto my books, I trip on a curb. I trip on a curb and I can't catch myself. My hands are here. I'm not gonna drop my books. So I, I, I'm holding onto my books. So I fall forward. I just start falling forward and I spear the side of the bus with my head <laughs> like, like a javelin to the side of the bus. I hit it so hard. I think I'm this close to knocking myself out. So I hit the bus and I immediately stand up. <laughs> I can hear the bus going, bah, wah, 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 wah. the side of the bus is actually reverberating. 
everything around me is just getting small and then big and then small. Like I'm on the edge of just knocking myself out. I kind of look up and there's all these little eyeballs just staring at me with their hands over their mouth laughing at what just happened. They just saw somebody run a quarter of a mile full speed and then run headfirst into the side of a bus. I mean, it had to have been a sight to see. So I recoup and I take my walk of shame down the side of the bus, up the steps, and I put my five pesos in and I sit down and I start gushing in sweat. You know, when you almost get into an accident, your body just responds. So I'm sitting there soaking my seat in sweat and the bus doesn't move for 15 minutes. He was just repositioning himself. He wasn't going anywhere. And we just sat there. I was soaking my seat. Everyone was staring at me laughing. It was the most embarrassing ride home I've ever had. I will never forget that day. I'll never forget it. So what made that day memorable? I can still hear the bus making that noise. I can still feel my head throbbing. I remember looking up and seeing all those eyes staring at me. I remember soaking my seat with sweat. Like all my senses were engaged. It was a memorable moment. It meant something to me. When it comes to communion, God calls us to be fully engaged. He wants us to have all of our senses in use. When we see these elements, okay, when we see the elements, the loaf, you feel it. When it's broken, it puts off a smell. You touch it, okay? The element means something, it engages our senses. The cup, you can smell the grape juice as you approach it, you taste it as it goes into your mouth. It's a part of the whole purpose of having these. Our salvation was not a clean transaction. It was a messy thing. It was a bloody thing. This loaf of bread doesn't point to Jesus being okay, it gets torn apart because Jesus's body is broken in the process. So it means something. The drink that is in this cup does not represent the blood that's in Jesus. It represents the blood that is shed outside of Jesus, the blood that he loses for your sake and for mine. These elements point to something powerful. They point to something messy. They point to something bloody. These elements are to remind us of what Jesus did. These elements are supposed to take us back 2,000 years and put us on that hill, to put us at the foot, at the foot of the cross. If you were there 2,000 years ago, you would be able to hear the cries of pain. If you were there 2,000 years ago, you would be able to feel under your feet the moist dirt filled with sweat and blood of thieves and murderers. Many died on that hill. Many lives were lost on that hill. It was a messy thing. If you were there, you would be able to see the suffering, the internal and external suffering of those who were being killed, of those who had been sentenced to death. If you were there, you would be able to smell this death. It would have been pungent. It would have been overwhelming. And it was in this place that your savior chose to die. It was in this place where he took on the full weight of your sin and mine in our place. It was in this place where he bled and gave up his last breath. The bread and the cup is supposed to transport us back to that moment, back to that hill, to the foot of the cross. We're called to look back. We're called to remember. We're also called to look in. 
Communion calls us to examine ourselves and to see where we're at and how we're doing. There's a couple ways I think we need to examine ourselves. First, for some of you, you're here, but you're not really sure where you're at spiritually. I might be talking about this stuff that Jesus did and you're really not sure what I'm even referencing. And it's totally fine if that's where you are this morning. But your next step in examining is to think through where you're at in your spiritual journey. Is it time for you to make a decision for Jesus Christ? Are you at a point where you've recognized the fact that within your heart, you have a tendency to do things that don't honor God, that aren't done for God? Every one of us struggle with sin. The question is, have you been forgiven for your sin? When we go to Jesus and say, I place my faith in you as my savior and my Lord, Jesus forgives us of our sin. For some of you, that's your next step. For some of you, you need to examine where you are in your spiritual journey and take that next step. So as communion, as the bread and the wine come, this morning, don't worry about that. That's not what's most important to you. What's most important to you is making that decision, making that choice. If you'd like to make that choice this morning, you can do it in your seat or we have people in the back. Those doors were open at the end of the service and we have a prayer room. You head right back there and talk to people. They'll pray with you, they'll talk with you. They will help you and they will love you well. For others, the examination process needs to start with you and the Lord. So I've got this ring on my finger and it represents the fact that I'm married. And my wife, Jen, and I have some really great days together. Periodically, we have some hard days, okay? Maybe you can relate to that. Every day is not equally wonderful. But regardless, every day I'm still married. In your relationship with the Lord, you're gonna have some hard days. You're gonna have some days where you drift from him. You're gonna have some days where you harden against him. If that's the case, communion is a time for you to examine that and talk to the Lord and get right with him. That's why we do this over and over again, because we need that help. We need that reminder over and over again. We need time to set aside, to examine, to think, how am I doing with the Lord? This is a time for you to look up and to examine, to look at him. This is also a time for you to think horizontally about your relationships with others. Some of you sit here in the middle of some crazy broken relationships. Some of you sit here this morning with anger and bitterness in your heart. Some of you are sitting here this morning knowing that you need to reconcile with some people in your life. Communion is a good time to talk to the Lord about that. Communion is a good time to examine that part of your life and talk to the Lord about when you're gonna have that conversation with that person who you need to talk to. So during this time, it's a great time to examine and think through, do I need to receive Christ? Do I need to get right with my Lord? Do I need to get right with some people in my life? So we're called to look back and to remember. We're called to look in and to examine, but it doesn't end there. We're also told communion allows us to look forward to what is to come. We're to do this until he returns. So there's a forward-looking aspect to communion, which is beautiful, it's wonderful, it's exciting. So we look forward. So we go back to our graphic we had before, where we see the Passover meal, we see the Lord's Supper, but there's a third component to this graphic. There's a third column. One day, those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, one day, there'll be this thing called the marriage supper of the lamb. The Lord's supper points to the marriage supper of the lamb. Ephesians chapter five, at the end of that chapter, talks about the fact that the church is the bride of Christ. He is the groom. We are the bride. He says, you are mine. The bride calls back, I am yours. 
That's the type of relationship we have with Jesus. In Revelation 19, six through nine, it talks about and it gives this picture of this day when a feast will actually happen, a feast. Jesus will be there, you will be there, everyone who's ever placed their faith in Christ will be there. It'll be a celebration unlike any the world has ever seen. The marriage supper of the lamb. So here we have the bread and the cup, there it will be a feast. Here we're celebrating a, a Messiah that was sacrificed. There we're celebrating a Messiah, a Messiah who's standing there in all of his glory. And we get to be with him fully present then and forever. So now we look back and we remember, but then we simply enjoy the moment. We're fully present. We're fully engaged with Jesus who stands in all of his glory, full of love, committed to you in a covenant relationship forever. We fellowship, we worship, we're fully present. It's not really an old covenant thing. It's not really a new covenant thing. It's a consummation of the age thing. All things are made new and we get to look forward to that. So we look back, we look in and we look forward. We remember the blood filled dirt. We remember our own sin and our own darkness. But we also think about streets of gold. We look back and remember that there was a savior who had to hang on a tree. We look at our own hearts and we realize that there's a tendency within us to harden and to drift against the same beautiful Jesus. But one day there'll be a savior who will stand before me in all of his glory and I will be betrothed to him. We will be betrothed to him forever, unending. So we look back to remember, but we look forward to our reward. This meal, the Lord's Supper, should set the Christian's heart on fire. All of your senses should be engaged. So this morning, while we take communion, have your mind be engaged. Have your heart be engaged. This is Christmas morning, folks. This is as good as it gets. This is us celebrating a relationship that he initiated with us, that we get to enjoy now, tomorrow, the next day, and for all of eternity with Jesus himself. So we celebrate, we get excited. So as the deacons head out to kind of get us ready, I'm gonna invite Matt to come forward and lead us in communion. Matt's gonna lead us in remembering, in examining, and in celebrating. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.